The views and opinions expressed by individuals on the following program do not necessarily reflect those of the network, Guys Guy Radio, and its platforms. It's Guys Guy Radio. Here's your host, Robert Manny. Welcome to Guys Guys Radio. This is your host, Robert Manny, welcoming you to the show where men and women can be at their best and everyone wins. <laughs> Guys Guys Radio. We're here to inform you, inspire you, empower you, and get you to think and feel and who knows, maybe even act by virtue of the journeys, stories, experiences, and insights of the guests I bring you each and every week to the show. And once again, no exception, we've got a different type of show today, but a terrific one. My special guest, we're going to talk about comedy, first of all. And we're going to talk about how comics create their jokes, how they deal with the road, how they deal with audiences, how they deal with each other. It's a fascinating conversation. It's a young comic out of Pittsburgh, and he does a lot of work in New York and on the coast. And his name is Colin Chamberlain. He's a terrific guy. He's very affable, very likable. Very funny. I really enjoyed watching his YouTube special, and I also had so much fun in my conversation with him, and I hope he comes back to the show because it's really fun to, to have somebody fun on the show. So we get into a lot of serious topics here, and as a Guy's Guy, it's not all serious. You've got to have fun, too. So I like to spread things around also on Guy's Guy's Radio where we talk to some metaphysical folks, we talk to some diet and fitness folks, we talk to some spiritual Folks, dating, relationship, sex coaches, all kinds of folks we have here on Guys Guys Radio. Next week, I've got a couple of mystery thriller writers. But this week, we've got a terrific upcoming comedian. His name is Colin Chamberlain. I think you're really going to enjoy our conversation because he's fun. He's got some great insights. And he's also going to share with us his tips on if you're an aspiring comedian or you think you're funny, you might want to try it. How do you do it? How do comedians work? How do you write a joke? How do you make sure that your material doesn't get stolen? How do you, how do you deal with a, a different types of audience? How do you size up an audience? How do you deal with hecklers? How does one city differ from another city? How does the vibe of different audiences? And you, how do you take the temperature of different audience to know how you need to reshape your material? How do you manage your jokes in terms of you thought you had a whole bunch of great material written down, and then when you start doing it, you realize, well, this joke that I thought was the best is not working, yet this other one, what I wasn't too sure about, it's really working. It's a lot. It's an art. There is some science to it also, but being a comedian is no easy task. For instance, a lot of people are funny. But there's not that many good comedians. And you know what? A lot of funny people who are quick-witted, they're not good comedians. As a comedian, you have to be, have some discipline. You have to really be a student of human nature and the human condition. And you have to be likable. Even though a lot of what comics do is they pick at things they'll attack, like you know, going to the dentist or sitting in that last row on the airplane next to the, <laughs> next to the bathroom or whatever it is, they have to have an insight that we can relate to and that we like. And it creates an emotional connection with us to say, hey, I relate to that. I like this guy or I like this woman who's delivering the material. And it's no easy task. And it's very competitive. So again, our special guest is Colin Chamberlain. We're going to get to our conversation shortly. I think you're really going to enjoy it. I really enjoyed it. I hope he comes back to the show because he's a terrific guy and I could see him having his own TV series. So we're going to talk comedy in a few minutes. 
So what else is happening out there? Let me give you a quick update. One of the things that's been kind of orbiting in my mind is I had a, a kind of a mini, what you would think would be kind of a mini uh, scrape up with my vehicle. I have a new car. It's about uh, six months old and I got kind of sideswiped downtown about late June. And I still don't have my vehicle repaired and back to me. I had to go through a complete wrestling match with the insurance giant that I'm dealing with and kind of prove to them that, yes, this is how it happened. I actually went out. I had a witness. Somebody saw it and Good Samaritan said, hey, I'll, I'll give you a statement. And I'm like, okay, what did you see? And he saw exactly what happened. I said, okay, got the guy's number. And sure enough, when it was time to like get a, some type of decision on this, the, the insurance company hadn't gotten hold of him. Whatever. Who's going to answer the phone when you get an 800 number? And so they're like, oh, he has to contact us. Now, how is somebody you expect a total stranger to connect with, to reach out on their time and their dime, a huge insurance company and say, hey, this is what I saw that what happened. And it takes a rare person to do this, a special person. Yet I had this guy's number. So I texted him and sure enough, I got the right number for him to cut through all the nonsense and go right into the claims. And he he left his statement and it really helped me out dealing with the deductible and all of that kind of stuff. And so I get my car taken in and I have a certain amount it's approved. And once the car is dropped off, about a week later, I hear that, well, you know, when we took, started to take things apart, all the stuff underneath had to be worked on. So fortunately, the insurance company said, okay, fine, we'll take care of that. And they're dealing directly with the repair place. So that was good. Then another week and a half goes by and I get another, <laughs> this is in the, when it rains, it pours category. The collision place gets an accident with my vehicle that's at the collision place, a tool table, if you will, on wheels rolled into the, my vehicle. So they had to fix that too. So I still don't have my car back. And the clock is ticking on my rental stipend, and I've had to call because they keep it extending it a couple of days, and then they have to order the parts, and then the parts, and each part comes separately, and just the moral of the story is, drive as carefully as possible, don't get in an accident. I had never been in an accident until this, and I got to tell you, I thought it was a minor thing. What's minor can turn into be this long journey, and that's what I'm into. It's all going to turn out okay. Insurance company ultimately has my back. The collision place ultimately has my back. But I want my vehicle back, and hopefully next week I'll have it. In the meantime, I've got a my rental. It was like, yeah, do I get like the regular car? And they said, hey, we've got this hot hot muscle car over here that's a convertible. I'm like, hmm. I showed my son. He goes, Dad, let's get that one. So it was extra five bucks or something a day. It's a really kick-ass Mustang, and it's like. Brrr! I'm like, okay, we'll take it. I thought I'd have it for about three days. I'm going on three weeks now with this, what I call the beast. <laughs> it's hilarious, but wow, taking a long time. So anyhow, drive carefully out there because you don't want to go through the whole dance of getting into an accident because it can be really tedious, really tedious. So anyhow, Guys Guys Radio, my special guest who will shed light on a lot of things about comedy and the human condition. Let's bring him out right now. Colin Chamberlain on Guys Guys Radio. It's Guys Guy Radio. 
All right. I'm thrilled. Today on Guys Guys Radio, we're going to talk about, well, a lot of things, but we're going to talk comedy and we're going to talk with a great new upcoming comic. His name is Colin Chamberlain. He's New York based. He's been entertaining audiences for years. He's a terrific guy. I got connected with Colin through our mutual connection, Adam Ferrara, who was on the show recently and who's such a pro and is so terrific. So let me tell you a little bit about Colin. I watched his YouTube channel yesterday. Hello, it's me. It's a special on there. It's about 45 minutes long, and it is hilarious. I was laughing out loud sitting by myself. He's got a quick wit, family stories about growing up in Pittsburgh, one of my favorite cities. He's got a very conversational delivery. So we'll have a conversation today, and his timing is perfect, and you feel like you know he's your buddy when you're listening to him. And you can relate to the things he talks about because he talks about real life in the human condition. His debut album is called Hello, It's Me. It's with Helium Comedy Records. It opened at number two on iTunes and Amazon. And he's pre- he's performed all over the country, including the Comedy and Magic Club, Caroline's on Broadway in New York. And he's headlined there. Also at the Lucille Ball Comedy Festival. He's got his own podcast, Hell Gigs. And he's been heard on Sirius XM. And we're going to talk about a lot of different things. But first, I want to say thank you for coming on the show, Colin. It's just, I think you're terrific. And I really loved watching you last night in preparation for this conversation. So thanks for being here. And I love Pittsburgh. Oh, thank you so much. I mean, after that intro, I'm, I don't know if I can live up to that. That may have been the (laughs) best intro out of, you know, like, as you know, in, in entertainment and stuff, People, they go, send me a thing, and I'll talk about this. And they go, okay, yeah, I send you a thing. And then they, they read the thing. Oh, you've heard this guy in clubs and colleges. That was so nice, and I appreciate it. But yeah, I, uh, I also love Pittsburgh, my hometown, born and raised there. And I will be a Pittsburgher till I die at heart. So no matter well, where I go. Well, some of my closest friends, I went to undergrad, Villanova University, right outside of Pennsylvania. And a lot of the kids there, a lot of my friends were from Pittsburgh, including my roommates. And they had all these different terminologies for things. And uh, let's get rinsed and stuff and and going out drinking. And then the Berg, they referred to it. And they had their own little conversations and kind of nomenclature when they spoke to each other that I'm like, what are they talking about here? But they're all great guys, real people. And when I visited Pittsburgh, just the people there are just wonderful. It's a really cool city. And it's a lot. It's not just steel. And it's not just even though everybody loves the Steelers there. It's it's a very forward thinking city and a high tech city, yet it's beautiful. And they do a great job just taking care of it. So what was it like growing up in Pittsburgh? And how do you touch on the fabric of that special place in your work? Yeah, you know, I think Pittsburgh was a great... Oh, Jesus. Pittsburgh was a great... Speaking of Pittsburgh, there's my dad. Um, <laughs> it calls me this time every day. That Jesus, is the most is Pittsburgh thing that is could it? happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, we only had a couple of confusions. Uh, it's funny. Like, that is it. My My parents are so born and raised Pittsburgh. I'm of that cloth of like... Hey, at two o'clock is when I call. And, you know, I, I guaranteed my parents have been divorced for, for a while now. Guaranteed, my dad calls me at two o'clock. By 2.35, I'll have a text from my mother. I go, are you okay? Are you okay? Why didn't you answer your father? These two don't talk. They don't hang out. But this will get back to her and she'll go, are you all right? I mean, but that's it. You know, Pittsburgh is a town where I feel like it's real people. And, you know, I, I know everybody's a real person, but it really is just like a, a, an honest, hardworking town. When I'm in New York, a lot of times people will, I feel like New York has this generalization of like, you're either from Boston or you're from New York 
or you're from the <laughs> South. And those are the only places that they know. And a lot of times people will come to me and go, they'll hear me talking. I go, are you, are you from the South? And I go, no, I'm from Pittsburgh. And they go, isn't that, isn't that near Philly? I'm like, it's, it's farther from Philly than we are right now. Uh, you know, and, and there's this sense now the Pittsburgher in me will never let anyone tell me that Pittsburgh and Philly is the same place. Cause it's, you know, born into you that, right. right, It's not. Um, but yeah, I just feel like it was a great place to grow up. It was a great place to start comedy because there's also this sense of in Pittsburgh where everybody at a comedy club, all the audience members think they are just as funny as you, if not funnier. And <laughs> some of them are right. Uh, but there's this thing of like, listen, we got a babysitter. We had to park. We had to go through a tunnel to get here. Like, do you know how much drinks cost? And it's like, prove it. You better prove it. You know, so I think that's a very Pittsburgh mentality. Let me ask you this. As a, as a comedian, I have a lot of empathy for you, your work, not just you, but comedians in general, because there's such an expectation where somebody asks you, what do you do for a living? I'm a comedian. And they're, they're going to look at you and say, make me laugh or even say that. I'm sure you hear that all the time. And it's uh, it's not fair because it's like a boxer. It's like, I'm a I'm boxer. Well, you want to fight? You know, you don't do that. So you right. get paid for what right. you do and you turn it on and on and off. And it's interesting that I have a very good friend. We mentioned him uh, before the show began from uh, high school. He wasn't the funniest kid in school by any means. Yet now he's a professional performer and comedian and he's got his you know eight minute piece. And he also does a one man show. H- tell us about that kind of being a comedian and how uh, were you the funniest kid in school? How you kind of made the transition from, hey, I'm a kid from Pittsburgh to Hey, you know what? I can do this, or what were you in? Influ- all that stuff. Your influences. How did you get things yeah. going? Yeah, you know, I think growing up, I was by no means the funniest kid in school. I think I had, you know, my family all has a very good sense of humor. I think I, I always credit that I get my sense of humor from my mom, and I get my sort of business mentality of comedy from my dad, and. But everybody in my family is very funny. I was pretty quiet growing up. Comedy for me was always a defense mechanism. You know what I mean? It was always like, you know, uh, if I was funnier before somebody else, then they couldn't make fun of me. You know, I would make, if I made fun of myself, they didn't have a chance to do it. So we, you know, when we, when you grow up like that, it's sort of just ingrained in you that that funny is first. You know what I mean? Like it's it's almost like collateral. If you could be funny, you could do things and get away with things and stuff like that. But not the funniest kid in school by any means. I feel like things really started to click when I was in college. I um my dad used to do comedy. He used to, I, before I was born, he was he was did a little bit of comedy. He was yeah. sort of got to the level of like local MC. You know what I mean? He had some friends that would say, hey, "Come open for me" and stuff like that. And he always had sort of this dream of being in radio and product, uh, you know, entertainment, which he eventually did live out because now he has a podcast that is more successful than mine. But that's not either here <laughs> or not. Uh, but. Uh, but shout out maybe, to my maybe dad. Maybe I should have him on. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, we're gonna zoom him in. Uh, but uh, but no. So he he started. There was a comedy club. Really, how it all shook out was is I was always interested in comedy. You know, I, I loved uh, comedy albums and, and DVDs and specials. I really was really loved it. And but I never took it seriously. I never thought it was something I would do. And then. 
my dad started emceeing when I was in college, a local comedy club that opened for like two years and shut down because it was, I think, a front for some other money laundering thing. But like, <laughs> like some comedy clubs are. And, and he was emceeing there and I would go and watch the shows. And, you know, I would do 10 minutes of crowd warm up and he was good at it. And then they'd bring out a feature and then they'd bring out like a headliner that, you know, it was on Last Comic Standing a few years ago. Not 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 huge names, but these these guys and girls that were killers, you know, in their own right. They were really funny. They just never got a big break. And I watched these people and just was like intoxicated. I I, I just thought in my head, like, if I could do what they're doing for just five minutes, you know, if I could just have the smallest role on the show, I think I would be so happy. And I became so obsessed with it. And then I took a class because I thought that's how you learned anything. I just figured like comedy was like painting, right? If you want to learn how to paint, you take a painting class. I took a class with my dad, which is very formative. Uh, (laughs) And we did this class together and at this little black box theater in Pittsburgh. And uh, there was a class show and they would name like a class clown, you know, and that was you were like the best in class. I ended up winning that title, which was on my bio for far too long. Um, <laughs> and uh, it was on my resume for way too long. But uh, I'll never forget this moment. I was out with my dad and my sister after the show. We're at this little this chain of diners in Pittsburgh called Eaton Park. If anybody's listening to this is from Pittsburgh, this is where like you go <laughs> after a high school football game, a graduation, any any big night. Is this is where you go? And we're sitting in a booth, and I'm just like through the roof because it was the first show I'd ever done, and I, it felt like looking back, I it was not good, but in the it, for what I was doing, it was the best show I'd ever done because it was the only show I'd ever done. And my dad looks at me and he goes, "Well, there's no turning back now, is there?" And I go, "Nope." And he knew it, and I knew it, and that really was the point where I said, "I don't care what else I have to do." But this this has to be my life, you know, because this is the most fun feeling in the world. It really is. When when comedy goes well, it's the best thing in the entire world. When it goes bad, it's all on you and you you sit in a radisson and you're like, what am I doing? You know, <laughs> like like you start applying for jobs. But uh, it really, I think that that's the a long version. I've tried to make it sweet, but uh, yeah. a long version of how I got into it. Two things. One, what was the first joke, if you can remember, that you wrote? And is there a template for writing jokes? Because, you know, we all know people that are super quick-witted, and they're fast, but they're not, they're not comics. They're not professional comedians. And there's an right. art, and there's there's a little bit of a science to it, I guess, also. I know you, you kind of poked a little fun at taking a class for it, but there are some structural things. It's like writing a book or anything else. You really need to know some of the basics. So could you share with our audience kind of like, what are some of the Somebody who might be sitting out there listening, saying, you know, I'm pretty funny, too, but I'm not sure what to do. So how do you kind of get yourself, assess yourself? How do you write a joke? Yeah. You know, for me, you sort of said it earlier, like I consider myself more conversational than I would do like a setup, you know, more like like than like a Stephen Wright or or a Mitch Hedberg, you know, Um, I'm, I'm a little more conversational. But within that conversation, there still has to be jokes. There has to be things that people Mm -hmm. laugh at. So my process is 
I like to pull from real life. I like to talk about things that have happened and then exaggerate it. So I sort of start with it. And actually, Adam uh, was the guy that gave me some of the best advice. First time I was working with him, I had this big, long story about uh, taking a fighting class, a boxing class, essentially. And, and it all ended with this punchline of like, oh, I, I, to, to get out of it, I like peed on the guy. It was not <laughs> highbrow humor by any means, but it was a joke that I felt like was doing well for being a couple years into comedy. And I remember him and he was so kind to do this because he didn't, he, you know, he knew that that joke could be a lot better. He didn't make any comments about the punchline or anything, but he did say, you have to write about the story. Don't write the story, write about it. And to me, that's something I really try to remember was like, I was so stuck in the narrative of like, I went here and then I did this and then this happened and I did this and felt like everybody in the audience needed to know that narrative. And that's not the case. What they need to know is who's there? Why are you there? What's going on around you? What are the funny things that you're seeing? So I start there. I start with a story and then I start to, I write it real big. I get, I get the whole thing flushed out and then I go through with the red pen and I start editing. You know, it's a process that I think a lot of comics would call trimming the fat where you go through and you go, is this funny? No, then it's gone. If this doesn't serve a purpose to the to the joke, then it has to go, you know. So, I, I the, you know, there are some tricks that you could always like the rule of threes and repetition and in misdirection. You know, I, I remember I think one of the first jokes that I told, oh, my God, I, I think one of the first jokes that I told was like a joke about McDonald's used to have something called mighty kids meals. And I said like, you know, mighty kids meals are supposed to make you fast and, and more powerful. The only thing it ever, <laughs> only thing it ever made me was moist or something like that, you know? And, and it was this silly little joke and it's, and it sort of plays on this thing of like, you're leading them down the thing of this is what they say they're going to do. This is what they actually does. You know, moist. I, you start to find funny words, right? Like, to me, you know, moist is a funny word. You start to, your brain starts to go, um, okay, if the joke, what, if the joke involves cologne, what's the funniest name for cologne I could think of? Or, you know, you start to embellish different things. Like if you're driving a car, well, Honda is a word, but is, is uh, Hyundai funnier? Maybe Hyundai is funnier because right, it's, it's right. how it ends, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So little things like that, you start to, little tricks that you find. And really the only thing, if there's any, if you are listening and you go, I'm funny and I want to do this, mm -hmm. there is nothing more important than getting on stage and doing it. You can practice this. You can write a thousand pages of jokes in your apartment, in your home, and you can practice for front of the mirror. You can time yourself. Nothing will prepare you for comedy other than doing comedy. It is the only art form that you have to literally fail and practice at in front of people, you know? Let me let me ask you this. That, that, that is so astute. And thank you for sharing some of the tips because I know, you know there's competition out there. But the first time you stepped on stage, what did you learn about your material where uh, you have probably had ranked the jokes and put them in some type of sequence? And then when you get out there, everything probably goes topsy-turvy. Absolutely. I mean, I'll never forget. It still happens to me. <laughs> um, and if, if I think if it's not happening to you, you're not working. So I remember the first few times I got on stage, I did well. I did pretty well. 
I sort of had a natural ability to like tell a story that carried me. And then nervous energy is funny to a point. So I was, I had a lot of nervous energy when I was on stage when I first started. And that can sometimes fake and fill in the holes of your material. Now, where it starts to fall off is after those first couple of times when you're like, I'm getting pretty good at this. And then you go to an open mic and you have too much confidence and you go up there and you swing for the fences and nobody laughs. Then you really start to test your material. But, you know, you made a good point of, of like where you rank things and then how you actually how it's actually received. I mean, I had a joke. This is so silly to, to, to when you break it down like this, but I had a joke that I was a throwaway joke, a joke that I wrote that I did off and on through for a few years that like was was basically just a time filler. If I couldn't think of anything else, if I had to stretch, I, I could put this joke in. It was a joke about going to the dentist. And I never really cared about this joke. And then one day I was like, I should work on that. And Every time I did it up to this point, it was 50-50 reaction. One day, I just started working on a little bit. I put it in the front of my set to, to sort of test it at a few bar shows and open mics. And it started to get a little traction. And it started to get a little bit more. And then you're like, oh, this is now there's something here. And right now, it is one of my favorite jokes. It's the joke that I open my set with. It's about a five-minute bit, six-minute bit, you know, with a bunch of jokes in about going to the dentist and stuff. And it's one, it's a joke that people are like after a show, they go, I love the dentist joke. And it's crazy to think that like a joke started. Sometimes it takes four or five years to really figure out what's gonna happen with this joke. But mm -hmm. it started as something that I didn't really care about. It was just something I could throw in and out of my act if I needed it. And now it's sort of a, a, a foundation of my my act right now. So you just don't know. And that's why you have to test it. You know, that's why you, and you have to give things time. Um, it, yeah, that's the other thing. Comedy takes so much time. It takes, it's the most gratifying thing that you can do. And it's the most frustrating thing that you can do, I think. If you want to, do you want to share that joke or you want to tell people, hey, if you want to you want to hear my dentist joke, you better check out my act. It's up to you. Well, I'll tell you, I'm it's still sort of a work in progress. I haven't recorded it yet, but here is uh, there is actually a <laughs> clip of this joke that went pretty viral on TikTok and Instagram um, of this dentist joke, which you can check out. But the premise of the joke is as that dentists, I don't believe that dentists are real doctors. Now, when you open with something like that, you immediately get everybody's attention, right? right yeah. Now, and sort of the premise is that, like, the, 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 that everything in a dentist's office is done by something else, by someone else. It's all done by the hygienist. And, and if you needed a doctor and you called a doctor and a dentist showed up, you'd be in trouble, right? Like, so that's there, there's obviously a lot more to it, but that's the thing. That's and, great. And, it's you a great know, theme. and you and you go like it, it's almost one of those things where you go, uh, dentist, that's probably been covered. And it's like airline food. And then you find a take on it and you go, you start asking your friends. I asked all my other friends that are comics, like, have you ever heard this before? And they go, nah. Like, I don't know. It just seems like kind of overdone. Like, I've never heard that. And then you do it and you do it and you do it, and you go. Oh, this has taken on its own life. And uh, now, like I said, it's something that like I love doing. It's one of my favorite jokes to do. And the next time I record something, it's probably going to be in it.
you know? What's amazing about what you do, Colin, is that comedy can be, some say it's like an attack. And you do, you pick out things like airline food or fast food or dentists, whatever, and you pick at them and you bring out the human condition and humor out of it. But you do it in a way that's not acerbic. You do it in a conversational, fun, friendly way. What's going on in your estimation with kind of the comedy category, if you will, with your type of humor versus some of the more pointed comics that are out there today that are more like attack dogs? Yeah, I I am always going to be a, a defender of comedy. You know, as long as you're making people laugh and people are having a good time, who am I to say what you're doing is wrong? I will certainly talk to my friends about the jokes that you've, you know, my, my other comics will we'll sit at a diner and go, can you believe I told this joke? And then when you come over to me, I'll go, that was a great joke. You know, like, mm -hmm. yeah, like, because you're your coworkers, you have to be civilized. But I think for me, you know, I've never really done anything too pointed or opinionated. My philosophy was, is that like, when I get on stage, you know, I started at a young age, I started when I was 20. So like, when I got on stage, I was always performing for people that were older than me. And my first thought was, they do not care what a 20 year old has to say <laughs> about gas sure. prices, about insurance, about whatever. And my first instinct was always like, well, what, what do I know is funny? What I know is funny is this story about my dad or my sister or about dating, you know, a date that I went on, not, you know, and something like that. I, it's just something that, and I always had this like feeling too, because when I first started, my parents did come to a lot of shows where I didn't want to say anything that I would be embarrassed to say in front of them, right. you know? So there was this thing of like, I didn't really swear. I didn't really talk about anything too, too like over the top. And it just sort of was naturally who I am on stage. I think every that's the beauty of comedy is there really is something for everybody. I mean, you see it politically, socially, and all, all ends of it clean, dirty, uh, blue, you know, raunchy, not raunchy, whatever it is. Like there are comedians that are conservative there are comedians that are liberal there are comedians that are that are more um thought provoking there are comedians that just tell silly stories but if you like it you just go find them you know it's that's the beauty of it that's a great way of looking at it thank you for sharing that because i think it's important because it, it can be very competitive so if you're out with your buddies and there's four comedians and you're at a diner and you're sharing a couple of jokes I know from my background in the world of advertising, I've seen takeoffs on other people's ideas all over the place. Like I go from one agency to the other. I'm like, they're doing that idea that we talked about a, a while ago, and it's not kind of their ideas. How do you, and I'm sure there's just uh, subconsciously, there's some gleaning from other material in terms of concepts. How do you kind of deal with that? And what's, is there a code amongst comics about like, you know, you, obviously you're going to, you know, everybody's experienced some of the same things. So you want to share that, but you're not going to be blatantly ripping off somebody else's material. Where do you draw the line there? And how does that work among the code of comedians, if you will? Well, there's no secret in comedy. There are no kept secrets in comedy. If someone is doing a joke that they even assume is somebody else's joke, it will spread like a wildfire. You you don't even have to be at that show to see it, and you will have developed an opinion on whether that person has stolen a joke. For me and my friends, if we're out 
you know, that's one of the most helpful things for me is to get with two or three other comics that I trust and understand how I write and I understand how they write. And we pitch jokes to each other and we go, Hey, I got this joke about, you know, exit rows on airplanes or something like that. And they go, okay, yeah, (laughs) say this. And then they go, I got this joke about, you know, uh, the Tinder date I went on. I go, okay, yeah, say this. And we're happy to, one of my favorite things to do is to, to, punch up another comic's jokes because you're get you're giving an outside perspective and then here's the best part you give like i'll do this to my friends all the time uh and they'll do it to me too so i don't feel bad so we're at a club or something and they i watch their set maybe there's two shows and i go hey you know that joke you did here's a tag uh maybe this line might work in between and they go okay thanks and then they'll do it on the next show and i'll watch and if the joke if the line i give them works after i'll be like you're welcome. You know, but if the line, if I the line I give gives them doesn't work, I'm like, hey, hey, you didn't do it right. Like you didn't do it the way I said. You know, you didn't time it right. Uh, you know, we're all we're all little egomaniacs like that. But as far as yeah, you know, like you're always there's always going to be some parallel thinking. You know, I had someone comment on a clip I posted on YouTube, and they're like, "Wow, you took uh, two of Nick Swardson's jokes." Now. I think Nick Swartzen's <laughs> probably a great guy. I've never met him, and I've never watched any of his stand-up. <laughs> Is it possible in the realm of all things that you could talk about as a comedian that we've touched on two things the same way. <laughs> it is possible. It is possible, you know, but that is what is right. a fun and challenging and also a bit different with sort of the modern era of comedy where everything is posted and commented on and you know you go well you're seeing a piece of this you're only seeing a piece of this come to a show and see the whole thing and then tell me what you think you know my special guest colin chamberlain we're talking about comedy here he's amazing i I highly recommend his work it's just funny and as you can tell he's such a great guy so thanks for being here but when you walk into a comedy club and you're going to check you're the comic you're going to go out on stage. Maybe you're part of a different comics working that club. How do you assess the audience? And, and do you assess the audience? And how do you pick up the energy? And do you make any tweaks to your delivery based on what you see out there? Like, uh-oh, these people are really smashed. Or that couple over there, watch watch that guy. Uh, or whatever. Or have you heard from the other comics? Maybe you were listening backstage, like, rough crowd or like this is a good crowd or the regional crowd whatever how do you make all those assessments and you know instantly before you get out on the stage or even when you're on the stage and say all right i gotta i gotta flip things around (laughs) fantastic question and it really is one of like my favorite things about comedy where you are constantly it's fluid it's a live comedy is meant to be seen live you know i'm very proud of the work that i've put out I am more proud of the show that I will give you on a Friday or Saturday or Thursday, whatever night it is, because that's what it's supposed to be. So I will usually poke my head out at the audience and say, okay, they're a little older, they're a little younger. Like you made a good point. Are they drunk? Have they been drinking? Who is being noisy? If someone is being noisy, who is it? So I have an idea of where that's coming from if I have to address it. You're always talking to other comics. How are they? How are they out there? Good, bad, a little tight. Okay, thanks. Yeah, you know. All right, they're the guy up front. He's he's a little drunk. You know. All right, great. Thanks. Appreciate that. You know, you're talking to the staff. Maybe you go, "Hey, is that guy drunk?" Okay. Yeah. Would you mind just keeping an eye on him? Sure. Yeah, we'll keep an eye. Those kind of things. And then once you're on stage, then it really turns on. And you know, I, you know, to go back to a guy like Adam, where I've always respected Adam 
because I feel like he comes from a very like Zen place of comedy. You know, one of my yeah, and somebody else who I idolized was Gary Shanling. And uh I just was so obsessed with any podcast or book or or show he did. And and to me, his thing was all about being present, being in the moment. You know, comedy is about being in the moment. And it, of course, you write these jokes and you work on them and you perfect them, but you still have to be with the audience there. So I think as long as you're in the moment and you're assessing as you go, okay, you know, I've certainly felt like I'm losing them a little bit. It's time to ramp up the energy or, oh, I need to slow down because they are not picking these up as quickly as I thought they were, you know, Interesting. Um, be a little louder. I mean, it's sometimes it's just as like this table isn't heckling. They're just a little chatty and there's really no reason to address it right now and upset the show, but I'm just going to move my body in their direction. Not even look at them. I'm just going to move to that side of the stage mm -hmm. where they are just so they feel I'm closer, you know, and they feel that, like I'm, that, that I'm near them and they go, oh, okay, they could probably hear me, you know, let's, things let's, like that. Let's take that to the next level, Colin. Hecklers. I guess every comic has had to deal with hecklers and you probably have a couple of arrows in your quiver in terms of how to deal with them based on what to type. You kind of touched on it, but what type of uh, abuse you're getting. To me, like if somebody who goes to a comedy club, they pay money. That, you know, they, you know, you can clap or boo or whatever, I guess the same thing as a, at a ball game, wherever you pay your money. But I mean, what type of person heckles somebody who's up there trying to make them laugh? It seems like that's a very specific type of behavior that, you know, you have to know how to deal with. And, and again, the, the heckler is sitting there. They don't have a mic. You have the advantage in that you've dealt with hecklers. You have a mic, but still you're dealing with somebody that's probably kind of a jerk. How do you, how do you do that in a nice way? Or yeah, do you do it in uh, a nice way? Well, you have to, that's something you got to sometimes roll the dice on. Um, because I, I would say for me, what, what my experience is, is that most of the time it isn't somebody trying to upset the balance of the show. What it is, is somebody having a really good time and they go, you go, you see the line will be like, uh, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I drive a Prius and then they go, he drives a Prius. Right. Mm -hmm. And they yell that out and they're just sort of they're like an overexcited cheerleader. And you <laughs> got to go, hey, I'm glad you're having a good time. But, you know, you need to you need to settle down just a little bit because I can hear you and everybody around you can hear you. So you almost make them feel like you make them feel a little silly for being caught. But you go, hey, I get what I get that you're having a nice time and I appreciate that. Um, now. On those sort of smaller percentages that they are really trying to disrupt the show. I mean, I've had people... Or they're drunk. Yeah. They're drunk, right. It's, mm -hmm. it's always that they're drunk. Because <laughs> right. a heckler, it's like, it's like a firework, right? It's like they have a lit firework in their hand where, where it goes off and it's this explosion. And they go, well, now what do I do, right? They get that one thing out of them. And you, the, my thing, I, use, I just try to engage and go, what were you trying to do? And they usually have no answer, right? I go, no, no, no. Tell me what you thought that would add to the show. Like, I really am curious. Like, if you, if you, what did you think that was going to, what was going to happen after you said that? And they usually get caught and they have no idea. But I have had a few people and it does seem to be happening a little bit sort of more post pandemic. And I give people the, the uh, benefit of the doubt. I think it's because 
you know, during the pandemic, people were getting on Zoom happy hours and drinking a bottle of wine and passing out on the couch. That's what they were used to for for two years. They were used to just the the the, the fridge was the bar. Now they're going out and they forgot that, you know, they're in public and they forget that they're around other people. And they're used to polishing off, you know, a, a, a bottle of white Zinfandel on their own. And now they're at a comedy club and there's 40 people around them and they forgot how to whisper. So, all of them, um, right? Oh, yes. Right. So you get people that are drunk. And uh, by then, if it gets to that point where they're really making a scene, Hopefully the club gets involved. Got it. Now, I have had the times where you're in a club and you go, I am truly alone up here. They have given the the keys to the convicts and we I am the only <laughs> warden left. And and you just then it's just a run out the clock situation. Wow. You know, I've had a few yelling matches with people and you go, you know what? It's just not even worth it. Right. Like and it, it's just uh, I'm just going to do my act. And I always try to remember this, too, that if you can if you can convince everybody else in the show that this person is upsetting the night and disrespecting them, because that's that's the other thing you try to say is, listen, hey. I'm getting paid the same way. Whether you heckle me or not, my check is the same at the end of this weekend. The people around you all spent money to be here. They all had to fight for parking. They all had to find a babysitter. And those are the people that you're really upsetting. You're not upsetting me. You're upsetting these people. And then that starts to click and people said, they go, yeah, I, I can't hear. Be quiet. Mm -hmm. You know, so if you can, it's mob mentality. If you can right. convince the audience to turn on that person, let them take care of it. Now, you touched on something interesting, and that is uh, the pandemic. And i got to think it's been really tough, particularly for people who do your work, the comedians, because first you had Zoom, and people communicate differently on Zoom. It's like one person speaks and everybody listens, where if you had a group of people, people together, people talk all, over each other organically, and that's cool. But on Zoom, everybody's got all these special, you know, it's more dutiful, if, if you will. So you get people off of Zoom back out in the clubs. As you say, they've been wa walking past the refrigerator 50 times a day. Everybody's got their COVID-15. They drink too much. Now they're out in a club. They've been wearing a mask. Some of the clubs probably still have mask rules. You have the mandate stuff. How, how do you deal with all of that? Is there is there a way to make the pandemic funny without insulting people who may have lost somebody to this and then you know things that have been going on for so long and so many people now are saying you know what i don't want to hear this anymore let's just like do our thing how do you de how do you process and deal with all of that it's a it's a lot for a comic yeah certainly you know uh, for me what i have realized is that people and i'm the same way where it's like when people are going out to a show now the last thing they want to hear about is the pandemic. They're coming out to get to get away okay. from it, you know? And there are people that still do jokes and they do really good jokes. And I just I I haven't I never had some, you know, during the pandemic and the Zoom shows, of course, I had a, a list of jokes that I could sort of fall back on that were were, you know, or poignant at that point in time. But to me it's like we're, we're, real life resumes. We're back to real life. And that's mm -hmm. what I'm going to talk about. Now, as a comic and working through that, I am so appreciative of any live show with an audience now be, after having to do sure. shows on Zoom that I am just happy that there are people there. If it, you know, I it was such a tough time I think if you were in any sort of entertainment to go like, 
Am I going to have a job? Will I, will people care about this kind of stuff? And then you start to transition into Zoom comedy, which is a nightmare. And you go, you go, oh my God, like anything but this. And then, so as (laughs) things come back, you go, listen, I don't care if there's four or 400. I'm just happy that they're here in front of me, you know? Mm -hmm. When you travel around the country, what's what's your sense in terms of are there certain cities like you prefer playing or you think your material works better versus others? I know my buddy who's a, a comic, he he was telling me a story about they didn't laugh in San Diego. And I'm like, well, you know, the think about the material and think about who your target audience is. And you have the New York crowd where you get tourists. So you can go into a Carolines and you have people from Tulsa in the audience, or you get the people from Jersey. And it's a very, very different mix there. And then you have LA. And having moved from New Jersey and New York to the West Coast, I can see there's a completely different vibe. And even though I've been out here a million times, until you live out here, you, you don't really see the distinct differences. And then there's everything else. And I don't mean it everything else in, in a derogatory, diminishing way. But how do you kind of map out your your work and your perspective based on the market you're in? Yeah, I think you have to take it into some consideration, right? I am someone that I I sort of I try to to fit all audiences. You know, I mean, just living in New York, you have a great opportunity to go. I'm going to go to a Carolines, or I'm going to go do a show in Manhattan that's that's going to be more of a of a mixed crowd of tourists and native New Yorkers and more representative of maybe the rest of the country. And but I can also go to Brooklyn and do more of an alternative show where they're a little hipper, or you right. know, or it's 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 younger and more artistic. So can you do both of those rooms? That is ideally for me, the goal is to work in both of those rooms. I have found that like there are certain cities that, um, you know, you, you, you have an experience there and it either you make all of your assumptions <laughs> off of one experience, right? I like Omaha, Nebraska. To me, <laughs> Omaha was a place where people would joke about it. They go, what are you doing? And you're playing Omaha this weekend. To this day, Omaha, Nebraska is top three cities I will p- love right. to perform in. I love it. I will go to Omaha, Nebraska at the drop of a dime. <laughs> it is the funny bone in Omaha, Nebraska is one of my favorite clubs. There's some of the best shows I've had. The people there are fantastic and the club is fantastic. And and I would feel, you know, uh that way about a few other cities. There's like like Cleveland, you know, being from Pittsburgh, I never thought I would say I love Cleveland, but like it's just a great city and the club is great. <laughs> it's it's more about the experience. Now I've had experiences in Tampa where I go, if I never come back to Tampa, I'll be okay. You know, <laughs> like I don't know if I could step foot in Tampa ever again. Um, so so things like that that you start to make your assumptions on. But for the most part, for me, it's like, hey, these are regular people. Hopefully they want to hear these jokes. Hopefully they work for everybody. That's my goal is to be able to to play to as many people as possible. Well, you do a great job, and I'm so glad you've been here with us on Guys Guys Radio. I hope you come back because I've got about 30 other questions I didn't get to. But let's talk about your podcast, Colin, and also your uh, comedy album and where people, our audience, can learn more about you and find you. Yeah, so my podcast is called Hell Gigs. It is a podcast where I talk to other performers, uh, comedians, and musicians and about um, the worst shows that they have done. And the <laughs> idea of it came from 
when you're in a green room, green room of a comedy club and there's other comics there, that's the first thing you start talking about. You go, I just saw you were in Toledo. It was the MC that does the thing with the okay. puppets there. And you go, oh my God, the MC with the puppets. He was in Toledo. <laughs> uh, got my name wrong. And you start talking about that. And that to me was always the funniest part of the show. It was talking about, oh, I just did this show and Poughkeepsie and there was no stage and no microphone and no chairs. And good that premise. was like very good. Yeah, for a you show. Know, Love and, it. And it and it was something that like you could you could relate. I have talked to so many comics that I've never met in in real life because of you know cool. everything now with Zoom. You talk to them for five minutes about a show that they did where they didn't do well on, and you you are instantly on the same page. You go, I know exactly what yeah. you're feeling like, you know. Okay. So hell gigs. Um, so hell you gigs, got hell yeah. And then your album. Yeah, my album is called Hello, It's Me. Uh, it's my debut album. It's the special is for free on YouTube and the album is on iTunes and Amazon and Pandora. And, uh, I think they're also playing it on Sirius. So check it out. Uh, I'm very proud of it. Website. Website is colincomedy.com and that's all my social media, uh, Instagram and TikTok and Twitter is all Colin comedy. Fantastic. Listen, you do a great job, man. And I think you'd be perfect for a TV series because you're you somebody that I think anybody across the country can relate to. You're conversational, you're friendly, you're authentic. I think you do a great job and you're very funny. So thanks for being on Guys Guys Radio. I hope we can do it again, Colin. Thank you so much. Absolutely. It's Guys Guy Radio. Very good conversation with a terrific up-and-coming comic, Colin Chamberlain. Hello, It's Me is his special. You can catch it on YouTube, about 45 minutes long. Very funny stuff. He's very likable. As you can tell, I'm a fan. He's in New York now by way of Pittsburgh. I love Pittsburgh. I had a lot of college buddies who lived in Pittsburgh and came to Villanova where I went to undergrad school. And it's a great town. I love visiting there. Last time I was in Pittsburgh was 2015. A couple of buddies of mine from around the country, we met up in Pittsburgh to see the Stones play at Heinz Stadium. And we had a blast. And everybody in Pittsburgh likes to have a good time. They're fun people, nice people. And, you know, you'd be surprised. Uh, it's a Steeler town, of course, but the beautiful stadium for the Pirates. A lot of uh, tech there, a lot of art. It's just a really happening place. And uh, of course, it gets a little chilly there in the winter, but I really like Pittsburgh. Anyhow, what did we learn from Colin today? Well, the life of a comedian is not an easy one. Imagine being a comedian and people ask you, what do you do for a living? And you tell them you're a comic. And what's the first thing they're going to want? They're going to want you to make them laugh. And that's a lot of pressure. And it's like, it's, it's endless because people are always trying to figure out what other people do. And then they do give you a little follow-up on that particularly if you, you're somebody who makes people laugh. So it's a tough road. And also, you know, as we talked about, the funniest person in high school isn't necessarily comedian material. There's a craftsmanship to it. You have to be a keen observer of the human condition. You have to know how to craft a joke and create the environment for the joke to live in. You have to know how to read the audience. Every audience is different. You have to know how to deal with people giving you a hard time. It's just, it's not easy. Now, the fruits of your labor could be TV series, movies, whatever. You can make a lot of money if you can cut through and get to the top, but it's no easy road. And I think any comic, any comedian you might know will tell you that. It's tough work, and uh, I think we've got to give it a lot of respect because 
These are people who are also making commentary on what's going on in our culture there. And we should really listen up because uh, they do it using a funny bone. And that's a nice way to see everything, even if it's sometimes it sounds like maybe it's an attack or whatever. Comedians and entertainers, they in their own way provide a service besides entertaining us. They make us think and particularly stand up comics because they're right at you. They're right in our face. And they're telling us things directly that we all can relate to, if they're good ones, like Colin. Guys Guys Radio, we're here every Wednesday evening at 8 p.m. Pacific Time on KCAA Radio here in Southern California, 102.3, 106.5 FM, 1050 AM. The podcast on my YouTube post worldwide every Thursday. You can catch me on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. I'm all over it. My website is called robertmanny.com, M-A-N-N-I. I've got over 300 blog posts about life, love, the pursuit of happiness, just about every subject you can think of. You can also download three free chapters of my novel, The Guy's Guy's Guide to Love, about two guys in advertising competing for love, sex, power, and money in the city where they play for keeps and it doesn't sleep either, New York. I think you'll have a lot of fun with it. Women seem to like it. They say it's a peek behind the curtain into the wacky, odd world of modern men and their dating habits. And guys like it because, hey, this is something for us. And there's not that many books that are rom-coms written by guys that are honest and are about how we really roll. So Guys, Guys Radio and Guys, Guys Guide to Love, my novel, are available everywhere. And also for the radio show and the podcast, you can listen live, you can download and you can stream it off KCAA. The show also is rebroadcast every Sunday evening at 6 p.m. Pacific time. And for the podcast and the YouTube and the Rumble, you can, wherever you listen to your podcast, you can catch Guys Guys Radio. Of course, YouTube and Rumble are YouTube and Rumble. So if you want to watch the interviews, you can go there. But we're everywhere. It's all free if you enjoy the content and the guests I bring you each and every week to the show. I ask you one little favor that won't cost you a penny, and that is please subscribe to the YouTube channel, Rumble channel, podcast, however you consume our show, and I thank you very, very much. I thank all my 650-plus guests who I've interviewed for Guys Guys Radio. I thank my wonderful producer, Chris, who always has my back, and I thank you, most of all, my audience. We're growing, 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 so get on that Guys Guys train, and let's roll on. So Guys Guys Radio, I'm going to see you next week. And as I always like to say, guys, guys, finish first.